No one here is doing life by themselves. I want you to know that you're part of something bigger and greater than just yourself. And this morning, we're talking about the important subject of success. And we've began a series working through and developing in our hearts and our minds, what does success really look like? And this morning, we're going to be defining success and defining what does success look like according not just to me, but really according to God, the creator of the universe. There's a statement I want to make in the very beginning. The foundation of success is found not in what we do, but in whose we are. The foundation of success is not found in what you do. It's found in whose you are. The very definition of what is success in this life is incredibly dependent upon who you ask. Depending on the different periods of of time, whether you are in year one and you've just started school, your definition of success may be something as simple as, I want to be able to write my name legibly, or want to be able to, to, to write out the alphabet, or to add some numbers together, and finally you're successful. And as a parent, remember your little year one child when they come back from school the first day, and you're celebrating the fact that they can read the word cat. I have my son, he's in year eight this year, and he's beginning to feel like he's a teenager. I'm reminding him that he's my little baby boy, but he's reminding, he's a teenager, and he comes back from school, and if he put out his words and went, look, Dad, I learned the word cat, the, the, the definition of success isn't quite at the same level when you're 13 years old, even though he's, you know, he's a high achiever. For you and I, depending on where you are in your Christian life, depending on where you are developing in your life as an individual and in your relationship with God, maybe for today, success is something as simple as, God, I got up today and I acknowledge the fact that you're the creator of the universe. And I know you as Savior and I'm just going to do my best just to live for a moment for you today. And God says, tremendous, well done good and faithful servant. Maybe you've been living the Christian life and you're developing, and you're growing, you're reading your Bible, and you're, you're growing in your relationship with God. And as, as you develop and God's worked in your life, success is something a, a different. It's more than just acknowledging the fact that God's the creator of the universe and the savior of the world. You're developing and you're beginning to serve, like we say on the screen, connect and growing and serving. You're beginning living out the purposes that God has for you. And he looks at you and it is just in the same enthusiasm as God says, well done. You're doing the really small things. God's looking at this person and going, well done. You're doing some of the bigger things. I'm, he's equally satisfied and equally happy with every single person because God knows where you are along your section of your life. And this morning, we want to look at not success in the eyes of what we do, but in whose we are. Who do you belong to? Our key verse for this message is Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open that. It's a great verse to memorize, particularly in times of a discouragement and times when you're feeling low. Go back and quote this verse. If you don't have it, it's on the screen for you to follow. And it says this. For it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God who works in you. He's the one that's growing you. He's the one that's developing you. He is the one that's molding you into the person that he wants you to be to accomplish the goals that he wants you to accomplish in this life so you can truly have real lasting success. And at the end of that verse, it says, why? For his good pleasure. One of the greatest joys of our entire existence if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says we'll stand before God one day and he, in a positive way, will judge our works. And he'll look at our works and if, with the things that we do for God, the Bible says that he says a statement some, some, somewhat similar to this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. Every single Sunday we have a principle. And our principle for this week is actually the definition and the working definition of success that we're going to be using for this entire series. And it says this, success is the continuing achievement of becoming the person God wants you to be and accomplishing the goals God has helped you set. Let me read that one more time. Success is the continuing achievement of becoming the person God wants you to be. Society, they have a reason. They have a purpose for your life. So this is success is the person that God wants you to be and accomplishing the goals God has helped you set. The real question is, can a godly life and success be reconciled together? Can we have success and a godly life? In the business world, you may think to yourself, there's no way that I can live a godly life and still be successful. There's no way that in school, with fitting in with all the other students and trying to find my place, that I can actually live a godly life and have a successful school career. I believe absolutely we can merge the two together. Success in a godly life is absolutely we can live successfully in God's eyes while still being successful in business, while still being successful in our school life, in our home life, in our relationships. You define success, if you're a football coach, you define success as winning the grand final or a salesman is you know, being the number one salesman for your region or a uni student is, just, is earning the degree, but not just earning the degree, earning it with honors. Now, homemakers, you want a lovely home, a home that, that your family wants to come back to. As a, as a businessman, it's earning that first million. As a parent, it's raising godly children. The definitions, they come and they go. And what you may consider successful at one period of life, time in your life may be looking back and you thinking to yourself, there's no way that I want that. Early on in your marriage, if you're, if you're married here today, you're, I... Here's a sob story for you. Ready? I married my bride and we were rich. I think we had like $4,000 in the bank. And I, I honestly thought, wow, I got some money. <laughs> and we moved into a huge one-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment. And it was tiny. And it was absolutely tiny. In fact, it will, now will we'll we'll fit inside of our lounge and kitchen area right now. That's how small the apartment was. It didn't stop us. We had two kids living in that apartment. And with two little toddlers walking, running around, and we would come home, and we loved the home. It was our home. 
It was where we lived. It was where we made wonderful memories and, and uh, brought our children home for the first time. I am so glad we didn't peak back then. I mean, for the sake of all of our sanities. But you know, at that particular time, it was wonderful. It was a great place to live. Not anymore. We went back to it a few years ago. We were living in the U.S. at the time when we, we were living in that apartment. Tammy and I and the kids, we had three kids now, we went back into that apartment. We went, how did we ever do this? The one bathroom alone is horrible. Not only can success and a godly life be merged together, but also the, we, we must look at the correct source of success. The correct source of success is we look to God through his word. The Bible. What is he teaching us in his word that is relevant for where you are today to take you where he wants you to go in the future? Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, one more time. For it is God which, who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Before I tell you an account from the book of Genesis about a man named Joseph, let's read that definition of success one more time. Success is the continuing achievement of becoming the person God wants you to be and accomplishing the goals God has helped you set. That is an easy definition when everything is going well. When your job is going well, when your marriage is going well, when the family is all getting along together and everyone's loving each other the way we're supposed to be loving each other. Except that definition is also the definition when things are not going well. The book of Genesis, chapter 37 all the way to chapters 50, give the account of a man named Joseph and what's going on in the, in the life of Israel at that time. Joseph was, if you know the history of, of Israel, you had Abraham, the father. Then you had, he, he had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had some sons, and Isaac, one of Isaac's sons was Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and one of them was a man named Joseph. And Joseph was a man who, was a, as a teenager, was probably one of those annoying teenage brothers that, and quite literally, he would rub it in his brother's faces any time that anything good happened to him. And God gave him a dream of, of, of things that were going to be great in his life, and he went back and told his family right away, and that made his brothers incredibly jealous. Not only that, he was the favorite. I mean, I understand that. I was the favorite son in my family. I was the only son. That's why I was the favorite. That's why I tell my son all the time, you're my favorite son. He was the favorite son and those 11 other brothers. Ten of the brothers absolutely hated him. And given the opportunity, they, tried, they wanted to kill him. They ultimately sold him into slavery. And you think about that poor teenage boy being dragged off from his home, from being the favorite son in a very wealthy family. Now he's a slave being dragged along by the Ishmaelites into Egypt, and he's being sold into a household of a man, and now he's quite literally the bottom of the rung. And you look at that and you think to yourself, how does that definition of success, success is the continuing achievement of becoming the person God wants you to be and accomplishing the goals he has helped you set, how does that line up? It doesn't at all in my mind logically. And then we look at the things that God, 
And the scriptures in the Bible that talks about the fact that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And if it was up to you and me, everything would always be perfect and everything would always be clean and nothing ever bad would happen. And God says, sometimes I allow bad things to happen in your life, not to punish you, but actually to benefit you, to help you become who I created you to be. We learn far more from the hard times than we do from the good times. And certainly God was using some very unusual circumstances to ultimately save the entire world. Joseph was sold into slavery. And as, as, a, as a young slave in Genesis chapter number 39, verse number 3, he was working his way up through the ranks, as it were, and he ultimately became the head of the household. It wasn't the head of the household because he was the smartest young man. It was because of this fact. It says this, His master saw the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The master was a wise man. He saw this young teenage Israelite boy who was now becoming incredibly successful. Everything he did was successful, so he brought him through the ranks. Joseph could have stood back and go, I am pretty good. But given the opportunity, he was falsely accused of rape by his master's wife and ultimately thrown into prison. And you imagine that first night in prison for Joseph. He's sitting there in prison going, I was the favorite son of an incredibly rich man. I became a slave. I worked my way up and became the head of my household to the fact that my master knew nothing was going on. I uh, controlled everything in my, in the, my uh, master's household. And now I'm in prison. Talking about ups and downs. God was with them. Ultimately, the, 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 um, the head prison, prison guard saw what was going on in Joseph's life, saw that God was with them, and he promoted Joseph. And the fact that and this is the ultimate prison job. The, the prisoner, Joseph, was the head of the entire prison. But he was the prisoner. I'll tell you what, what a lazy prison guard. He sat back and said, everything, you can handle everything because everything you do is successful and everything that, that, it, that God's blessing you with. And he was seeing that God was working in his life. Through the course of events, and I'll encourage you, read through it. It's an incredible account. God brought Joseph ultimately in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had some dreams and Joseph was able to interpret them. And God worked in Pharaoh's life and brought, and brought Joseph all the way up to being the second in charge of the world's superpower at the time. He goes from being the favorite son to being a, a slave, from being a slave to a prisoner, from being a prisoner to the second in charge of the entire nation. And God did that not just because he wanted to elevate Joseph. He did that because there was a famine coming in the land. God was going to bless the world with seven years of prosperity and then give them seven years of severe, severe famine. Through that miraculous dream that God gave to, to the Pharaoh and Joseph's interpretation, they stored up food for the seven years and they had barns overflowing with food. And ultimately, through the good, good judgment and God's working, they protected and saved the entire world, at that, the known world at the time, from famine. And at the end of their life, 
Joseph's family was reconciled together. They're all living in the same land in Egypt. And Joseph's brothers come to him, and they were fearful, thinking Joseph is going to kill us. Joseph's attitude wasn't, you did me wrong. You, I, you owe me. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says this, talking to his brothers who had sold him into slavery as a teenager. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. If we go to the New Testament, the book of Acts, chapter number 7, verse 9. Acts 7, verse 9, it gives the account of, of Joseph being sold into slavery. In one verse, in verse number 9, it says this, And the patriarchs, that is, the brothers of Joseph, jealous, sold Joseph, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. And this is the key phrase. But God was with him. That's incredible. Whether you are in the highs or you are in the lows, God is with you. In the book of Matthew, describing Jesus and the coming Messiah, the Savior of the world, the book of Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The question of today, and the question for you today, this is all introduction, is that God is with us. Are you with God? God says, I have a plan for your life. I have a relationship for you as an individual. He says, I love you. I care for you. My son Jesus, who came and died on the cross, he died for your sins as an individual. God is with us, but are you with God? You see, when God is with us, and I, I'll digress for a moment, I have a hard time praying that God will not bless our nation, bless my family, bless others around me. But when he allows hard things to happen and the, seemingly the blessings are not there, I know that he's with us. I may lose my freedom, but God don't leave me alone. I may lose my health, but God, don't leave me alone. I may lose my wealth or my status, but God, don't leave me alone. I ultimately may lose my life, but thank God, he never leaves us alone. And that gives us the foundation for the definition of success in our lives. The fact that God is with us. Success comes from being in a relationship with the creator of the universe, working in harmony with, with him and his purpose for your life. Whether you've known Jesus Christ as your Savior, like myself, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my dad was a pastor, or my dad is a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My uncle's a pastor. My father-in-law's a pastor. My brother-in-law's a pastor. My cousin's a pastor. And we jokingly call it the family business because I grew up with it all around me. It was what we did. We came to church on Sundays. But there's a huge difference between going through the motions and having a relationship. And I congratulate you for being in church. I really do. It's wonderful that you're here today. And it's our honor if you're our guest here today at Southwest Baptist. We hope you feel welcome. 
but we don't want to leave you the same way we found you. We want to leave you in a way that you will grow and to develop into who God made you to be. So therefore, let's look at the definition of success. We have two different points this morning that we're going to briefly work through. They're all based upon Scripture, so we're going to be looking at Scripture to, to give them the foundation. And let's look at, first of all, success is the pursuit to pursue God's desires. Pursue God's desires. If you have your bulletin, you can fill out the blanks in your bulletin or follow along there. We have different approaches to success. We have a human approach, and ultimately a human approach is a self-centered approach. And that's totally natural and not, not necessarily right, but it's totally normal and natural to be self-centered. You don't believe me, look at your, your two-year-old child. Or look at a two-year-old child. They are naturally selfish. No one teaches them th that word no. How do they learn it? It's amazing. They just naturally have no. Like, I don't know how they learn that. I mean, my, my family, we never say that. No, we always say that. And you look at our natural thing is my goals. What do I want for my life? What will make me happy? What will make me fulfilled? What will give me satisfaction? The other approach, which I believe is the correct approach to truly finding success, is simply, we call it God's approach. And God's approach is, I have a plan for you in the entire universe. Every single human that's ever been in, in existence, I had a plan and a purpose for. Whether or not they followed that plan, whether or not they're going to fulfill their purpose in life, I still have a plan and purpose for them. And here's my plan. Here's my will. Here's what I have for you to do. Here's what I have for you to go. Here's the amount of time I'm giving you here on earth. And that is the foundation for our success. And the incredible thing is that seemingly you look at that and you think, but I want my desires. When our desires line up with God's desires, you can go through the highs and also through the lows and still have success. Still have the peace and the joy and the hope that only God can give you. When your desires are in line with his desires, your will is in line with God's will. Jesus himself, before he went to the cross, he told, told God through a prayer, not my will, but yours be done. Our life is wrapped up in whose we are and who created you, who has given you purpose, and who we are in Christ. And this is, this is a, a silly little exercise, but I think it's important to, to process things when we, when we learn them. It's all well and good to look at me and say, okay, well, Michael has that, or you look at others around you and think, well, I can see that in their life. You know that the God, the creator of the universe, has this for you personally. So I'm going to do a funny little exercise, and it's going to be maybe a little bit awkward, but I want you to respond if you would. I would like you to say the fact that Michael is in Christ. Now, you don't say Michael, unless your name's Michael. I want you to say your name. Are you ready? Is in Christ. Ready? Michael is in Christ. Some of you, your mouth didn't move, and I was watching you. Let's do it again. Michael is in Christ. You know what's incredible about that? I know it's a silly little exercise, and I've, it's silly. But you know what's incredible? What did you just say? 
the creator of the universe, who one who be as from the beginning to the end, who knows every intricacy of this world, is in you. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you are in Christ, in the Creator, in the Savior. You are covered in your sin, and that changes our entire focus and our, and our way that we live our lives. As believers, we become and we are children of God. The beautiful picture of being a child of God, particularly the Bible uses the analogy or the picture of being an adopted child. And the beautiful part about being an adopted child of God is that you do not come to God as a second-rate family member. In the Jewish faith and also uh, sorry, in the Jewish custom, uh, what they would do if you, if you were brought in to a family and as an adopted child, you had the full rights. You didn't come in as a second rate, like, you know, just the adopted child. They actually, because, in a sense, and if you're a parent here today, you can smirk at this. You know, God blessed you with your kids, but you really didn't ask for them. They just uh, came along. You know, you got this wonderful little child, this wonderful little personality. But with the adopted child, God saw, the, the, you see the child and you say, I'm choosing to bring you into my family. I know, in a sense, what I'm getting myself into. This was not an accident that just surprised. In fact, my wife told me there's no accidents. It's only blessings that our children are. Romans chapter number 5, verse 8 says, But God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were brought in as children of God to pursue the desires of God while we were still sinners. In the book of Acts, chapter number 16, it gives the account of two men. And it was, um, it was Paul and Silas. And these two men were put into prison for the only reason of preaching the gospel. And they were put into prison in a, in a city called Philippi, which is a modern-day Turkey. And they were, they were they were there sitting in prison, singing praises to God, and God miraculously opened the prison doors. And the prison guard came in, hearing the testimony after these men were beaten and put into to jail for the night. And he made this statement. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. He said, in order to be a child of God, it's not difficult. It's not hard. It's not a, a course of classes. It's simply believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He's the God, the creator of the universe. He came and lived a life. He died on the cross to cover your sin and for my sin. And that's the foundation of success in this life. That's the beginning point is having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Because, as I said before, say your name in Christ. You are in Christ if you know him. And as a result of that, we can become obedient to his word. We can become obedient and begin following what he wants us to do. I believe there's incredible things that God has for you as an individual, for us collectively as a church. But there's, in a positive way, there's no use doing the things that God has for us over here if we're not obedient with the simple things and the foundational things like believing that Jesus Christ is the creator and the savior of our, of our world and accepting that for ourselves. There's no use moving on until you have the foundation set. 
So first of all, we have the fact that it's an ongoing pursuit. It's an ongoing, sorry, it's a, sorry. Secondly, we have an ongoing pursuit. First of all, it pursues God's desires. That's the foundation for success in our lives. Secondly, it is an ongoing pursuit. And the hard thing is, and I'm going to burst some bubbles here, is that you think to yourself, if I get to a certain age, then I've arrived. Some of you graduated from high school. And congratulations, well done, and congratulations to your parents for all their endurance. And you graduated from high school, and congratulations, you received your, your, your certificate, and your, your, you stood there, and you're proud, and you said, I have finally arrived, I have finished high school, look at me. And if you're anything like me, the day after I finished high school, I began working full time, and I went, oh, <laughs> this is not as much fun as I thought it was. And some of you are going to be going to uni in a couple of weeks because the uni schedule is incredibly lax. You start in like March. And you're going to get there on your first day, and after graduating from high school, and you're thinking to yourself, I finally arrived, and then you begin your first day of uni, and they start piling on all the assignments that you're going to be doing, and you may feel incredibly overwhelmed, and you're starting from the beginning all over again. In a positive way, and I only mean this in a positive way, the Christian life is similar. We come through different trials and, and things that grow us and develop us, and God is helping mold us into who he created us to be, and we accomplish that task, we accomplish what he's called us to do, or we've overcome different things and our barriers in our life to move on from them, and we think to ourselves, fantastic, now I've arrived. But then he says, I have more for you to grow you and to develop you. And that's not a thing where it's a sadistic, where it's just constantly in a Roach, like you're never ever arriving, like a poor hamster running on a wheel thinking, I'm finally going to go somewhere. What this is, is it's development and growth. You look back upon who you used to be, and you think to yourself, I don't want to be that person any longer. I want to grow and to develop. When I was a teenager, I believe I was about 14 years old. In fact, it was at a summer youth camp that the speaker made a statement that stuck with me that I rehearse in my mind all the time. And you, if you've been around our church very long, you've probably heard me tell this story in the past because it's a good story. He said, when you read your Bible, when you come to church, when you, you're in an opportunity to learn, simply ask God, God, what do you want me to do today? And then go out and do it. I have found that just incredibly empowering and helpful because in the big scheme of the world, it's incredibly overwhelming. But if I can just focus upon God, what do you want me to do today? That ongoing pursuit of becoming the person that God created you to be. God, what do you want me to do today? Okay, God, you're going to have to give me some the strength to do it, but okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do today. God, what do you want me to do today? And then tomorrow morning when you wake up, you say, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to learn today? As you read your Bible and you open up his word, rather than just skimming through the pages of, of, and just filling in the pages and filling in the work, you look at it and think, God, there's something in your word that you want to teach me today. Will you teach me something today? Will you give me just enough information to be obedient? Will you just give me the tools that I need? That was incredibly powerful to me as a teenager. 
particularly as a 14-year-old, as your body and your mind begins to change and your voice begins to break and all these unusual, weird things that happen in your life, having that foundation early on was incredibly helpful to me, and I hope it's helpful to you too. God, what do you want me to do today? I know you have big plans for me in 5, 10, 15 years' time. And I must say, I never, as a 14-year-old, imagined I'd be here today. You look at it and think, God, you have a plan and purpose for my life. Because spiritual arrival is actually not biblical. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, verses um, 6 and 7. The Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life. He's an elderly man. And he's writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he writes this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. He's saying, I am empty. I'm basically saying, uh, no one hears like this, but you know, I'm old, I'm empty, and I'm about to die. That's what he's writing here. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you just simply read those verses, you think, well, Paul's kind of given up. He's no longer going. He's just going through the motions until God takes him. But if you look at the surrounding verses and the following verses, he doesn't just leave it there. In verse number nine, he talks about Timothy, come quickly to me because I have a purpose for you. And in verse number 11, he's saying, and bring along John Mark. Bring him along too because he's profitable to me. He was still making plans. He was still developing things, even though in physically he was nearing the end of his life. He was saying, I still have a purpose. God still has a reason for me to be here on earth. We can never reach the horizon. I guess unless you're a flat earther, you, we, we keep going around and we keep going around. And as soon as you get to the horizon, guess what? There's a horizon further and beyond. And in a, in a good way, that's the way our lives are. As we get to a certain point in our lives, we think, fantastic, God, you've taught me this lesson. You've grown me. You've developed me. We can say, but you're not done with me yet. You have another greater goal for me. And they build upon each other year after year because spiritual arrival is not biblical. But also what it does is it gives us a larger worldview. It allows us to see life with clarity, to see people the way that God sees them. We, as a church, we support Jeremy and Liz Pinero and their five daughters who are missionaries in Vanuatu. And they're incredible missionaries. They go and they work with the jungles and they have, um, they call them Bible schools, but they have training centers. They, they're training people that quite literally a couple generations previous, they were, they were cannibals. Like in, and I won't go into the story there, but it's incredible. A couple of generations previous to these people, they were cannibals. And you had people that quite literally wear the grass skirts, that, that live off the land. And you look at these people in Vanuatu, and they're not that far away from Australia physically. They are totally opposite lifestyle to you and I. And the reason why we support the missionaries, uh, the, the Paneros, and why we, we support missions as a whole is because we want to see the world the way that God sees the world. We want to see the people as individuals. And it's so easy when someone is so incredibly different from us to think of them as distant. 
And to think of them as, well, they, they're not as sometimes as important as us. You know, their needs and their desires are not nearly as important as my needs and my desires. But it's exactly the same God who died for your sins, died for their sins. The exact same Jesus who rose from the dead and gives them life, not just for now, but for all eternity, is died for those in Vanuatu, and you name whatever country it is. And as you see tragedies on the news and you see different floods that take place or tsunamis and earthquakes and horrendous things that happen around our world, our heart hurts because those are real people that God loves and God has a purpose for. Just as much as he loves you, just as much as he has a purpose for you in your life, he has a purpose for the nations around the world. And it gives us a, a different perspective, a greater perspective. And also from that gives us a greater purpose to live. And I want to encourage you with this. You see, when God's plan is working in your life, you're living for something bigger and greater than just the here and now. That doesn't mean that you don't do the report that your boss told you to do tomorrow. Or you skip out on the seemingly mundane things of life. You still have to do the dishes. What it's talking about here is we have a greater purpose, a greater calling. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, I referred to this earlier on. And Jesus tells a, a, a parable or a story and, uh, about, about servants that come to their master and their master's response, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And the positive response is a wonderful response. And as I serve God, my motivation is, is really for him. And that should be your motivation as well. But someday when we stand before God, I believe he'll say words like this in Matthew 20, 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, this results in a state of confidence. We now have some confidence in this life. We understand that we're working for something that's actually going to last. One of the most frustrating things of the summer is, and maybe you're the same way, you, you fight a constant battle with your grass. You water it, and you love it, and you talk nicely to it, you fertilize it, and then the sun comes out like it is today, and it wilters, and, and then if you miss a watering day, and it's constantly, and you look at it, and sometimes I think to myself, why do I even bother? And in the grand scheme of eternity, the grass is is very little, if nothing, of consequence. I still want my green grass, though. When God has a plan and a purpose for your life, it gives you a state of confidence that you know that you're living for something bigger and greater than something that's just going to wilter and go away as soon as you forget to water it. You're living for something that is eternal. And that confidence is not just confidence in yourself, it's confidence in the power and the very presence of God himself. The Bible teaches, in fact, John, in the book of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples. He has just told them, I'm going to leave you, and you're going to live life on your own, but I'm not going to actually leave you alone. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the one who's going to reveal all things to you. We have the very presence of God. 
The Bible teaches where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in the very presence. You look around. We're gathered in the name of Jesus. He's here in our very presence. We have confidence in God's power and presence, but also we have confidence in our relationships. We have confidence in the fact that we have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And whether we're going through the high times of life or maybe you're going through the low times, Maybe you're just going through the motions and you're kind of in that stagnant place or you've just been going through the same thing again and again and again and you're ready for God to use you. You can come back to him and say, I have a relationship with you, God. Whether you want me to go this way or that way, I simply want to be obedient. So with success and our definition of success, we have pursued God's desires and also the fact that it's an ongoing pursuit that verse again in philippians philippians chapter 2 verse 13 for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure you imagine what our individual lives would be like imagine what our family would be like or even in another scale our church would be like if every single one of us simply said, God, what do you want me to do today? I know that you are with me. I have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I have confidence, not just for now, but for eternity. I have confidence in your power. I have confidence in your presence. I don't want to be alone. And going back to the opening illustration in the fact that No matter where you are, you are with Christ. That that question again. God is with us, but am I with God? Let's pray together. And as I pray, why don't you stand? Lord, I want to thank you for your plan and your purpose for our lives. You've blessed us far beyond what we deserve. You've given us far more than we deserve, and And Lord, I pray that we will not squander the blessings that you've given to us, but we will use them for your honor and your glory. And as we go out even today, we will not delay until tomorrow, but we'll take it on today, asking God, God, what do you want us to do today as individuals? You have a plan, you have a purpose, you have a reason for us to be here. And Lord, I pray that we will not miss that opportunity. Lord, if there's someone here that is yet to place their trust upon you as Savior for the first time, Lord, I pray that today will be that day they place their trust upon you, so that we'll be able to open up your word and show them out of the Bible how they can have the relationship with you now and also through all eternity in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that you will help us and bless us to be successful, not in the world's eyes, but ultimately in your eyes. And in Jesus' name, amen.